0: And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old
1: Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 77 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on Sunday, May 3rd, 2015. Okay, folks. This last week was an odds makers' sports mageddon That's right, sports mageddon folks. If you're into betting on sports, this was your kind of week. First of all, of course, you had the NFL draft, where Florida State quarterback Jameis Winston was the favorite at one to 15 odds to be picked first. Oregon quarterback Marcus Mariota was six to one. How did Joe and I do in the draft? Well, let's just say that Dallas and no Johnny football available was good news. And in Cleveland, with their dozen picks, they've got now more kids on that team than Brad Pitt and Angelina. Then we had the Kentucky Derby, where people throw money at names like Frosted and Keen and Ocho Ocho Ocho. Here, the odds makers were right on again, and American Pharoah at three to one barely edged out firing line. We had the basketball playoffs, of course, where the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Los Angeles Clippers are on to the next round, where the odds makers were on, and they liked the Cavs, but can they win without Kevin Love? And the Clippers are enjoying more wins this year than Donald Sterling has payments to old girlfriends. And finally, we had a great episode of Dancing with the Stars, or what was also called the fight of the century between Mayweather and Pacquiao, where the odds makers were right on again, and Mayweather quite literally hugged it out to unify the two of the several hundred belts that now make up the silliness of professional boxing. So what are the odds that we're going to put on a great show this week? Well, oddsmakers have us at two to one. That's right. Two rants and two raves and one for the marketing for your listening pleasure. Joe and I are ready to bring you this week's number one draft pick of content marketing news like two thoroughbreds. We're telling you who's going to win, who's going to place, and who's going to show in the race for content supremacy. And we'll track down customer experiences like a Cleveland fan waiting for King James to come home. And we'll wrap it up with a this old marketing that'll have you wanting to hug us like Floyd Mayweather winning a championship. So ding, ding, ding the bell, and let's get this round of content marketing going. And for that, it's time for me to introduce my co-host, my friend, my colleague, and the undisputed heavyweight world champion of content marketing, Mr. Joe Pulizzi. How are you, Joe? I'm d- <laughs> doing great.
0: I already know this, but yes, you, you did not spend your hundred dollars on the Mayweather-Pacquiao
1: fight, correct? I did not, my friend. I did not. That was. Um, I, I've never been into boxing. i I've. I've just, i just. It's never been a thing for me. Um, but all my friends were like really into it. I mean, they, I mean, really. Into I remember it. when I
0: was younger. Get. We got together with a bunch of my friends to watch Tyson Douglas. And since then, I, I mean, I don't get. I don't get boxing. I don't get how. I mean, how can he make a hundred plus million on the one
1: fight? Well, I think this I mean, I saw a lot of really interesting posts over the weekend which has sort of talked about how boxing is really just kind of dead now because this is what it does, right? It builds up for ten years to one fight and it's gonna be, you know, another ten years before we have anything interesting to watch again. And quite frankly, for the casual fan, all the casual fans thought it was, you know, an hour of boring two guys dancing around a ring, not doing a whole lot.
0: Yeah, well, you can never live up to those kinds of expectations. That's right. That's, of that's actually what concerns right. me about Star Wars, because <laughs> we're, we, you know, I went, I went over, uh, you know, a couple of days ago with the boys and we watched um, Avengers, the new Avengers movie. How was it? It was good. I, I didn't okay. think it was as good as the first one, but it's pretty darn close. I think that most okay. people are going to be pretty happy with it. I think James Spader. The voice of James Spader is fantastic. Oh, he's just so good. He's so he was so great, good. but the Star Wars uh, premiere, uh, pre- a preview trailer, was there yeah, beforehand. Right. Okay, yeah. And that of anything in the entire movie that got the most cheers. <laughs> right. So just of think about that. I mean, we are all set up. For it better be good because our expectations are so high this time
1: I so. really think it's going to be great I just think it's going to be so so good uh, I, I certainly hope so anyway I think it's one of those that even if it's not amazing that people will still love it because it's such a beloved thing and you'll find something just even even just you know the familiar faces i'm i think that the thing it's got going for it with all the hype is the fact that so many familiar faces you know harrison ford and carrie fisher and you know and uh, and mark hamill all of them being back i think is a huge is a huge well i think the other thing too is
0: is i mean he's J.J. Abrams is doing it right with the fact that he's trying to do as little CGI as possible. I mean, you saw that. That's right. I think we talked yeah, about exactly. this last time with the with the robot, the round robot that rolls. Yep. I mean, that's not yep. going to be CGI. That's a real thing. They built it. It's got a big that's magnet right. on the top yeah. of it. So I think that kind of stuff is cool and kind of brings it back to the George Lucas roots. But yeah, we will see. So I guess the Absolutely. big question is: Did we have any news at all with all that we sports stuff? Which did we could have, have, have been the news. great one of the I greatest mean, sports days. Well. Tapped, you know, kind of completed with the Spurs Clippers amazing final.
1: It was a great sports day. Yeah, it was a pretty amazing. I was in a I was in a restaurant and watched that last like thirteen seconds or whatever it was in that game, and it was it was pretty amazing. And I didn't even mention. I mean, there was. There was all, there, man United played this uh this uh this yeah, last we, are, week we do have an international national, audience we you know, have to we be respectful. I mean, there was a lot of there was a lot of other football play that I did not mention in my introduction that I was going to but quite frankly just didn't feel like I had the time to do it but yeah there was a lot of there was a lot of sports this well, a good uh, this you last know good week.
0: friend of the show and listener Nanette Senek is going to send us a tweet and say look I don't like your American sports get on me. <laughs>
1: Get on to the marketing <laughs> talk. So, Nanad, we're well, sorry. The, the first article this yeah, uh, this week, uh, Nanad, it comes from ClickZ. And the headline is, why is digital marketing growing so slowly? And, of course, that might seem a little alien for this show, but I think it's a really interesting one because it plays so heavily into where content is. And the, the article in ClickZ starts out by saying, to consumers, digital is everywhere. It makes sense that they would think digital has grown, and it's huge, but interestingly, according to eMarketer in 2014, digital was only 28% of the entire U.S. ad spend. Now, it, uh, it goes on to sort of qualify that a little bit, but I think the really interesting thing here is how he teases this up, and then, Joe, I want to get your take on this, because he says, you know, we're 20 years into this whole digital web internet thing, and consumer behavior, we know, and media have gone through this massive digital transformation, with more to come, certainly. But it seems like the business transformation, and this is what you know, I want to get your take on because I definitely have a thought on this. It's been much slower than sort of the implications of what has happened on the consumer side or on the media side. And what do you? I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, are we are businesses moving too slowly into digital, or do we just not have it figured out yet? Like he says and goes through some things. What's sort of the issue here? Well, the first thing is.
0: And I guess I'm gonna a little bit of a rant. I do like the story, and I and I think we can have that conversation. But my concern is, oh no,
1: <laughs> Joe's gonna pick on the research. I know. And Look I out! I have to. I have to go <laughs> rant against the <laughs>
0: the stats. So, I mean, you're saying that digital marketing is growing. <laughs>
1: I'm not saying anything. No, no, no. Man. I'm not no, saying I'm not, you. <laughs>
0: I'm not saying you're saying. I'm saying the article is saying. It's the royal you. Digi- it's the royal you. Digital <laughs> gotcha. marketing. Yeah. So digital marketing is growing so slowly, but they say digital was only 28% of the entire U.S. ad spend. And I'm like, right. you cannot use that
1: to talk about marketing there.
0: focus or spend because we know this is what we and this is why that i think that stat is is poor to use to make now i will agree with the article in principle but not based on that stat because of the fact that i think we've been shown that digital advertising in a lot of cases is sometimes not very effective you know if you right. i mean of course banners and buttons and those types of things and we've come to the native advertising there yes there's some potential there yes they perform better all that stuff good but still in a lot of cases if you're going to spend ad money Sometimes digital is not the way to do it. Sometimes right. there is better ways to spend ads. Now, when you talk about focus, if you talk, I mean, look at this with just hiring and recruiting in the companies we talk to; they're all hiring digital-first folks. That's right. Nobody's hiring ad people. Nobody's hiring print or television people. They're all hiring something that has to do with digital. So, in a case, I have to agree or disagree with the with the whole premise. Now. <laughs> I will say this, we and we've seen this with content marketing. I mean, you talk about it all the time in your presentations. It takes a long time to see change in enterprises. I mean, it's it's excruciatingly long. And I, I think that one of the reasons is a lot of these people making the decisions have seen success come from something totally different than to what we're talking about today. Yeah. I mean they saw success with advertising, you know? I mean, if you were if you started twenty, twenty-five years ago. You'd have, you'd have been really good to focus on paid media, and to put yeah. a real good good focus on that for the rest of your career. Well, now things have changed, and <laughs> I mean it's not going, it's not the same. But you're still the person <laughs> that got all those promotions, and you're making six figures now on the on the behind on the back of the fact that you knew advertising really well. So,
1: I mean, what's your take on that? Uh, well, I you know, I I think you're absolutely right, of course. I mean, you know, the 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 key here is I mean and and what we didn't even really get into is okay, so but what's digital advertising, right? I mean, because even that number is fraught for, you know, for disagreement because when I start doing television ads, quote unquote, television ads and I'm looking at the viewership on that through an internet connected TV, Is that is it you know? And I watch it on Hulu. Is that a does that number the number I spend on Hulu or the number I spend on uh, those different kinds of things? Is that a where does that budget number come from? I think most of the research that we see today is you know basically it risks sort of trying to figure out where the money is really going. What I can say, and I think is 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 relatively well understood, is. The traditional marketing avenues, the tactics that are being used, um, when you sort of stack them all up—from print to radio to television to banner ads on websites to email to you know all of that stuff—I I still think you're seeing a top-heavy toward television and print, um, you know, and and and, uh, and radio there, with obviously radio declining quickly there, but. I still think you still see a lot of that top heavy in most big companies that hasn't really swung around yet 20 years later. Do you think a lot you of know, it is use it or lose it? Well, can't, it's I think hard a lot of spend, it is. Like
0: if you're with a big company and you, let's say that you've got $50 million in an, in an ad spot somewhere in your budget, it's hard to just take that over to digital and spend it. It's
1: nearly well, impossible I think it in is, some cases. So, So I think a lot of what you have that at least is my experience in larger enterprises is you have sort of the politics of who has the money now, right? It's the – you're asking somebody to give up part of what they do. That means that somebody either has to be moved out of a department, fired, and or you have to reconfigure that entire department to do something different, which is just for whatever reason really difficult. And so I see it all the time, for example, in, um, you know, in digital, specifically within digital. Here's the web team. They've built a website and now somebody else comes over here. This social media team comes over here and does something else. They can't just reconfigure the, and the website's less important in this case. It's really hard for them to go, okay, the web team is now 25 people. Well, now we're going to make it 18 people and move. Uh, you know, seven of them over to social because that's going to be, no, they hire seven social people. And now it's 25 on the web team doing who knows what, and seven social people doing this. And you sort of get this really weird that they find it very hard to adapt organically and move people around. Once you're sort of in a function, you're in a function. And that is the, you know, and it's sort of really, and it's the same is true with budgets as well. When those, empires get built with those budgets, when the agency gets its media budget every year, they will scratch and fight and kick to keep that media budget where it is year after year. We've talked about this before, which is why we think one of the main reasons that native advertising is called native advertising, because as long as it's called advertising, the media budget will be the one That's that exactly it. That's
0: exactly right. That's exactly and, why it's called advertising. Uh, yeah.
1: Right. And so that that sort of inability to move, I think, is is absolutely true within businesses I, you know, whether the research is right or not, I, I don't know. Yeah,
0: I mean, that's true in customer service. I think we talked about it a show ago about the, the fact that y- you have these traditional customer service people working the phones. And then you also have customer service folks that sit under social in marketing that are working social channels doing yeah. customer service. Yeah, well, exactly and then right. that I mean, that was the whole thing about Comcast Cares. When Comcast Cares took off, it's like, oh, this is brilliant. Comcast Cares and they're doing a great job on social, but don't yeah. call them. That's right. Please don't call them because you're going to get a totally different experience. It takes a long time to then change that. It's taken them. It seems like ten years still. It's 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 and it's they're really, still having I mean, trouble with it because they're set up differently, and you you have to almost dismantle, yeah, the current silo exactly, structure that they're in. So
1: that's exactly right. I mean, and I love you know just maybe to finish this off, I loved I, I when I was in Montreal last week, I got the for the first time actually got to see uh, Gary Vaynerchuk speak. Um, and I loved his line where he says, you know, businesses need to market in the year that they're in, <laughs> which I think is just a – I think it's a great line and this one. That's, it's a great lesson that most businesses aren't marketing in the year that they're You're, in. You, they're they're marketing some, some time in the past. That,
0: that's absolutely true. But the one thing that I will say is that it's not – you can't just – Put the blinders on and say oh we need a digital focus person no doesn't well that, oh, that's course. but absolutely. no you're i totally i know so you and right. i agree yeah. on this but you know yeah. and I, I i mean i told you this offline but i had um you know i had a good conversation with with somebody that was really talking about inbound is the only way and i'll never do oh, anything right. but course, only yeah. digital and i'm like why would you do i mean why would you have that? Why would you not look at every option if you 're a marketer and if you 're a, a proficient marketer, you need to understand all the options available and sometimes uh print or an in person tactic might work better That's than exactly digital right uh, That's hence exactly like right. things like Lego magazine or I always say i mean when we when we look at the re, you know, when i was doing the research for Content Inc. We saw the best of the best organizations and entrepreneurs that grew amazing content marketing programs. They had, yes, they were digital first, but they they certainly had amazing print programs and certainly had amazing in-person programs. And I always yeah. look at Red Bull because they have all three. Yeah. So it's just, yes, digital first, I'll totally buy into it. But digital only, I'll, you know, it. I can't. I absolutely. I'm not even sure it's
1: digital it. first necessarily, but I, but I, I absolutely. Yeah, you know, strategy first, in the and year. then figure. Yeah, out. Exactly. Strategy <laughs>
0: first. Who's your exactly. audience? Story and, first, and, and then and figure it out. You, you know, and okay, out. I know we're going on too long, but it was it was yeah. free comic book day yesterday. It was free comic book yesterday. Took my son, big into comic books. You know, he loves Deadpool. Oh and yeah. He goes in there, and you know how many? I mean, they're all. Lo- I mean, they all want the print. They want that experience of the print because sure, why? Of because the the experience of a comic book on a tablet is just not the
1: same. It's so not it's, the same. No, nope. it's, it's not hard same, to get even though- that. Even though I found that really cool app, I'm I I still the paper is better. Yeah, it's it's definitely better. Yeah, I mean, the, the, you know,
0: you can't send the tablet version of Lego magazine in the mail and get the same experience.
1: Exactly.
0: Um, you can you can still get the content, but you'll have a different experience against that. And sometimes that that experience will change a lot based on how you deliver the content, as we well know. So there you go. Yes,
1: I, well, I like experiences. <laughs>
0: <read> a book. <laughs> you have a yeah. That. I wish there wish there was a book. <laughs> About this type of thing Would somebody
1: please do this Oh let's move on (laughs) The next story comes to us Courtesy of Moz moz Moz.com and it's called The Three Ways to Reach Multiple Generations with Content. Interesting article here to talk about the three sort of generations of people and how to reach them with content. Another research, uh, folks, so look out. Uh, Joe's already got his hackles up. And the article starts up with more people of all ages online than ever before. Marketers have to create content that resonates with multiple generations. Successful marketers realize that each generation has unique expectations, values, experiences, etc. And the ways to influence those consumer behaviors are different. And that offering your audience content that reflects their shared interests is a powerful way to connect with them and inspire them to take action. And then it goes on to talk about this research they conducted and all of the different three things. They go through the baby boomers and they're apparently uh, seeing uh, they're actually consuming a lot more content than anybody else um, of the other two. They talk about the idea that uh, we're all sort of Experiencing content in in the same uh, in the same way, uh, we you know we all like Facebook for example. Um, although I have to say I was very pleased to see that uh, Generation X was the lowest of the Facebook uh, consumers there, and then finally that sort of the preferred content types and length they span all three generations that. Um, the type of content that they're seeing, that the top four content types, blog articles, images, comments, and ebooks are exactly the same for boomers, Gen Xers. What did you take out of this study? Anything, anything interesting at all? No, not much. <laughs> interesting at <laughs> all. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> I, I I'm so skeptical. Oh <laughs> I'm so skeptical when I look at this stuff. Okay, so I gotta go down to the one first. We'll, we'll come back. We'll come, we'll come back to it. But the, the one thing was the number one, it was almost all the same that all the generations uh rated Facebook number one. Like it yeah. wasn't even close, right? It was Facebook. Right. It was a, all a huge gap. three yeah. and right. then YouTube and then Twitter. So almost no difference with any of the generations now but is that
1: but is that is that is that just because it's the biggest i mean is it sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy i don't
0: agree no i totally don't agree with this and here's why okay so we just we just did uh an event called media CLE media cleveland a couple weeks ago where we had a hundred students from all over the area come in and we basically talked to them about how to launch a media company it was a really really cool event and you know I did my new presentation on how to do that and I asked during during the day I I really wanted to know and I started to ask everybody I'm like how many of you use Facebook every day and Only a couple hands went up right And yeah. I said how many of well, you how that, many of you right. use yeah. Snapchat every day almost everybody's hands go up How okay. many people use Twitter every day every they use for the most part so this is this group and of course sure. it's just my experience Yeah but it's Snapchat Twitter one and two. So, Fascinating. First of all, Snapchat's not even on this list. How it's right. not on this list, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I know it wouldn't hit for us, our generation. It would hit for baby boomers, but it would certainly hit for the millennial side. So now I'm looking at the whole thing skeptical because I'm like, they didn't even have the number one answer uh, on this, and I don't know what you can use it for. Um, the, the number one, I don't. I don't know if people look at. Do you think that people look at it and say, "Oh, my number one thing that I want to engage in is a blog article," and I like them around three
1: hundred words. No, no, no I, they no. don't do that. No. Of course they don't.
0: I mean, they they want engaging content. And I think about you know how many people binge watch today on Netflix. How many people are going to sit through three hours of the Avengers? You know, the, right. it doesn't matter if the, if it's valuable. They're going to sit through it. So That's part right. of me thinks. None of this is really important unless you look. I mean, this is a look. It could be important, but it's fifth or sixth or seventh in importance in my. Sure. Well, standpoint. and
1: you know what's interesting to me is is that when you start talking about things like that, like blog article versus ebook versus this versus that, the fascinating thing to me is think about this for a second. When you interact with content and you interact with something like Forbes or ESPN or uh, CNN. Do you think to yourself, "I'm interacting with a blog post," and the answer is probably no. I mean, I certainly don't. I don't think. I think, oh, I'm I'm reading an article. Yeah. But then you go to a corporate site and you see blog, blog. and and your immediate reaction is, "I'm interacting with a blog post." And there's a, there's a, I I don't want to go down this road too dark, but I I think there's an interesting thread to chase here, which is why we're so as, as marketers, why we're so ready to call things a blog and not like an online magazine or not like a you know something else where interacting with it would be interacting with articles rather than a a, a blog post and i don't know whether that's a, a, a just a result of that's the way that we've been trained as consumers to think, or whether that's sort of something that comes because if it comes in the in the form of a content brand, like with a title and a masthead and a brand, we think of it as articles. And if it comes to us in the form of a of a corporate, you know, sort of blog, we think of it as a blog post. Well, but I, I think it's a really interesting distinction.
0: I think it's a, I think it's really important. I just did a presentation where I asked how many people, how many of you have a blog. Program and almost um, right. most of the hands go up. Hey, yo, yeah, hey, check the box. I got a blog. Right. We're yeah. good to go on the blog. But hardly, I think there were two hands of the hundred plus people in the room that said they're running a subscription program. Right, and I'm right. like, what? So right. I think your what are you point doing is, with your blog? Well, yeah, what are you right. doing? What is, What are you blogging about? <laughs> Lord help us all. So, I what mean, are I, you I doing don't... with your life? <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, I don't understand what they're like. We're creating all this content and nobody's like focused on getting an audience. To your point, I think right. we need to think more about hey, we need to, th- are we doing an online magazine, a digital magazine of some kind? Because at least that gets us in the mindset of consistent po- uh, content on an ongoing basis to a very specific audience. Now, yeah. the last question I have for you in this one is isn't yes i think we of course we need to look at personas and who the audience is and really focus <laughs> on that but do we even care for the unless you're a big consumer company where you're targeting a lot of different groups and you're selling things like coca-cola or swiffer pads do you even look at oh is it a millennial is it a baby boomer i think that for the most part you don't care
1: no, you don't. But you do. I think you do care in the market segmentation that you're doing because I, th- I think one thing that this this article goes very, very like lightly into that it doesn't speak to, which is where I thought it was going originally was was what are what are the different messaging techniques because that there are different messaging techniques for different age groups, and so if I'm selling Swiffer pads or Coca Cola to the i mean think about this for a second when you see you know, think about all the tv commercials because you and i are roughly the same age when we see all those tv commercials now and all the 80s references and the yeah. eight, 1980s music is playing i mean we're like oh my god this is you know this is the police or this is you know uh, you know all the ba- duran duran and all these bands that are now playing as background music to like you know, pharmaceutical ads. It's, ma- it's, Matthew, I mean, it's, it's Matthew Wilder. So,
0: Ain't nothing gonna yeah. break my stride. I hear that all yeah. the time now. He's <laughs> got to be really... I mean, you know that song. Ain't nothing gonna break my stride. Ain't nothing gonna oh slow me. God. That's the there first you know. 45 I ever bought. And, <laughs> right. and by the way, does anybody know what a 45-year is listening to this Probably program? Probably not. Probably oh not. My God. No, I totally agree with you. But when we re- when we're focused on going at in, in content marketing focused on really going after a content niche and becoming the leading expert in that content niche, I think this is way down the line at what we're looking at. That's just my take.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I, I am mean, you're, you're, well, I mean, you're
0: Hollywood. You you would know better than I
1: would cuz you, you I just really think the way it, like, well, the way I would market a movie to a millennial audience is different than I'll market it to a baby boomer audience even though it's the same movie. I mean, so at some point we're talking about marketing versus delivering the va- dev- delivering the content or the product itself. You know, because I totally get you. Right, the way I use a Swiffer pad as a millennial is exactly the same as the way that I use it as a baby boomer. But the way that I message and market it is going to be different.
0: Yes, I complete. I agree with the messaging and marketing. I think it's it's really it's much more important for product marketing.
1: <laughs> this this episode
0: brought to you by Swiffer pads. <laughs> <This> way, <laughs> Have you used the Swiffer Pad lately? I have just fell in love with my Swiffer oh my Pads. God. All right. We could combine we that with the, the, off the, the off story. I loved it, though. It was great. It was fantastic. Next headline
1: is, as content technology converges, publishers are feeling the squeeze. Are you feeling the squeeze, Joe? Um, this uh, comes to us from PubExec.com. And the article opens up and says, is there a difference between a content company and a technology company? And I thought this was – I read this two times, and I thought of you both times. As I knew you'd have a take on this. And the, he, the article starts out says, The answer to that question of whether a, there is such a thing as a content or and a difference between that and a technology company is becoming increasingly difficult to answer. In the recent past, they say publishers were, by and large, content companies. But today – With the blending of multiple content distribution formats, magazine media companies have forged new business alliances and discovered new types of competitors. And this blurs the lines between magazine companies and technology companies. And he asks this question, and maybe that's the first thing I'll ask you, Joe. He says, is there a difference in the mission between a New York Times, Hearst, Condé Nast, Yahoo, BuzzFeed, Vox, and Upworthy? Can we really distinguish the difference between these Companies these days, and would we see a Facebook coming in and becoming a competitor to these publishers? What say you? Uh, yes, they would. <laughs> you should. Uh, uh, duh. Well, come
0: on. And I think, and by the way, Bob's back, uh, Bob Sachs writes this. Uh, Bob is speaking at Content Marketing World. Great. Um, I love Bob's stuff. He's really yeah, insightful. It's a I great would, newsletter to and, subscribe to. And I would say, yes, I would say the one of the biggest reasons that we've seen the downfall of a lot of media companies today. Everybody talks about not spending enough advertising. No, it's because they didn't realize that saying you're a media company doesn't really put you in a different spot than anyone else. Because what that means is that you just get your revenues differently, but the media company, as we know it is done by almost every enterprise out there. So I would actually take what Bob talks about here. He says, is there a difference between a content company and technology company? I would say, is it, Is there a difference between a content company and any halfway decent-sized company out there? That's right. Not just a technology company. So he goes like – says, hey, is there a difference between New York Times and Hearst and Yahoo and BuzzFeed and Vox and Upworthy and Red Bull and Coca-Cola and – probably Swiffer Pants, uh, Procter & Gamble, (laughs) uh, Lincoln Electric, Parker Hannafin. I mean, any of Rockwell Automation, B2B, B2C, nonprofit. I mean, you all are trying to communicate something of value and create something around a content experience to a group of people to maintain or change behavior. They're all doing the same things. But I think as a media company, and and this goes for non-media companies too, if you look at it differently in some ways and you think that, hey, that uh, media company that you're partnering with is not a competitor, then you're kidding yourself. Absolutely right. kidding yourself.
1: That's right. Yeah. And from the technology side, it's the same thing, right? I mean, the, there has never been a company ever to ultimately sustain a competitive advantage using technology. It just doesn't happen. The technology ultimately becomes copyable. And that is, it is ultimately when you look at it, you know, it used to be like when I was growing up in the dot com days, it used to be that we would, you know, companies would build. Technology. They would build a website development group. They would build these application development groups. You know, this is when having technology as a core competency, and there was a lot of discussion about how businesses and the CIO would ultimately build technology as a different, you know, and the capability to build technology as a differentiator in their business and that idea has kind it's what it swung way back after the dot com boom kind of went boom and then it has kind of swung a little bit back now with how you know mobile and social and everything has sort of come back around and the custom development has sort of had a had a little bit of a renaissance but i think even now you've got companies realizing that a competency in technology is important but it is a competency in being able to pull it in when needed and jettison it when it's not and I think ultimately, when you look at you know just to exactly to your point, regardless of what kind of company you are, you it it is the competency that you have as a content company or as a technology company. In addition to the other things that you do to drive revenue and create experiences for customers, that is the differentiation, right? It is your ability to have those competencies, no matter what you do in your business, and they are equally um, as as important.
0: You know, it's interesting though. I would never the the article seems to talk about Facebook being a technology company. Is that correct? Did I read that right? Seems yes. to be. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I would have never thought of Facebook as a technology company ever. I would divide it. I will, yeah, They would always it. be to me a media company, especially right. since they make very tradi- their revenues very traditional media company type revenues. Yeah. And by the way, when they were listed in Inc. Five Hundred. Uh, fastest growing private companies before they became public, they were listed as a media company so yeah, that 's right I think just for those people who are unsure about that totally
1: <laughs> agree with you <laughs> on the technology side. All right. Well, our anyway, last article. Anyway, anyway, our last article comes to us from Marketingland.com. We can cover this one really quickly here because it's a fascinating development. Speaking of and you media companies, this one. you called this. I, I want to say I predicted this. You did um, some time ago. I don't remember which show it was on, but the headline is. Google gets into content recommendations with AdSense matched content. Dun, dun, dun. Look out. There's a shot across the bow for Outbrain and Taboola. There it is. Google is getting into the content recommendation mix with a new tool for AdSense publishers, matched content, and it gives publishers uh, access to the familiar style kind of widget thing that appears at the bottom of news sites. Now, Google's version for now only includes internal links within a publisher's yeah, that's site. that's funny. That's so, so funny to me it becomes a cro- a way to cross promote page which of course is something that all of the the outbrains of Taboola's do as well sort of do cross promotion of internal links to get more page views which of course theoretically gets you more clicks on ads which theoretically gets you more revenue and so the interesting thing here is is do and I want to know what you think Joe is this the first step in google acquiring somebody building something or something different
0: boy they have the technology. We just talked about technology. They have it. They yeah, have the so Of course they do. Yeah, and they're turning it on. Now, and so what don't they have? So why would they buy, you know, we've talked about this before. we actually thought on whatever show this was. This is probably a year ago at least where we talked about, "Oh yeah, Google's going to buy Outbrain or Taboola." No, no, right. it's going to happen at some point. Okay, well, yeah. now they they have a uh, a product that looks and feels and acts exactly like Outbrain and Taboola. What, right. what don't they have? They have the technology. They have the publisher relationships. Google probably has the best publisher relationships, you know, good or bad. They have them with every publisher on the planet. Uh, that's been using Google ads for the longest time. So what, what would you buy? What, what would you, what would you buy them for? What would be the, what would here's, be the here, point here, of them
1: buying? Here's my, an, yeah. here's my answer to that. I, I, I don't, I I don't think I agree with your last statement. I don't think that Google, Google has a good relationship with the publisher community. That's not to say that publishers don't use Google almost ubiquitously. But they do so at a self-serve basis, right? So when you sign up for Google, you do so without really talking to anybody, unless you're, you know, let's let's be clear. If you're CNN or you're Yahoo or you're, you know, somebody like that, yeah, you get a you get you get a rep, right? You're talking to somebody, you have a relationship with somebody. But for the vast majority of mid sized publishers, you're just signing up for stuff, and you put the widget on your site, and away you go. I think what they do have, what somebody like an Outbrainer or Taboola does have, is the distribution network with so many different um, publishers in, you know, sort of already have the real estate. So it's really a real estate and relationship play at that point.
0: Yeah, I, I see your point. I'm just. I just go back to... I mean, this was back in the day, so
1: this is... Back I'm here. just making a case. I don't think they have to do this. I think Google could do this entirely on their own. Sure. Let me be clear. Well, to I speed th- it up. It, but, to to yeah.
0: absolutely speed it up. I just remember when it was you know, 2001, 2002... And, you know, we had 50 properties in Penton Media, and there were meeting after meeting saying, Hey, do we open up our sites to Google? And then we had that one, and we said, Okay, let, let's do it because we're going to get traffic. And then we say, Oh, should, then do we run Google ads on it because we can get a revenue share? And there was a whole bunch of no's against right. that. And then they opened yeah. that up, and they, you know, they all got their reps, and everybody had their Google ad, re- ad revenue coming in. And it was like, and it, by the way, the same thing's going to happen at Facebook. So right. It's like it's, history is repeating itself because now you're going to get the publishers going in with Facebook – it's going to happen all over again, and they're going to produce content inside of Facebook. So I know I'm getting off the topic, but it's just not no, interesting how
1: that's playing, you know, 15 years yeah. later, and we're seeing the same thing happen. Look, this is this is why it's so this is why it's so important to understand the history and where we came from because it's it is it's the same thing is going to happen again and again and again. It's just that the, the 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 game is the same, the the, the pieces change. It'll be like episode 277. It will be like,
0: those kids
1: will never listen to us. I I remember one time, one time when we were talking about native advertising. We were talking about it like it was going to happen yesterday. Okay. All right. We have a new sponsor. Let's 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 talk about our new sponsor. Exactly.
0: So, um, we are delighted, delighted to. And and what's really good is that we've done a number of projects with Fathom. And for those of you not familiar with Fathom, uh, Fathom is a digital marketing agency. They're actually located, uh, well, they have multiple offices, but their main office is in Cleveland, Ohio. They've been a supporter of Content Marketing World for a long time, but we've been partnering with them on our manufacturing research enterprise manufacturing research for a long long time and oh, we fantastic. you know we, we were talking about what are we going to talk about on the show and it was like well we really would like to, you to talk about the content marketing research that we put together with them for manufacturers so that's exactly what we're going to talk about and what i love about this is it's so interesting that basically the the manufacturing research says that 82% of manufacturers use content marketing in some way, at least what their definition for content marketing is in some way. The effectiveness is less than 30%. So there's a long way to go. And almost, I mean, you go to any one of them, you look at the, the data, they have, almost none of them have a strategy defined. So look, think about that. You have 82% of marketing manufacturers manufactured bigger larger companies that are using content marketing in some way and hardly any of them have a strategy and of course they don't have a strategy they're doing a lot of tactics and they're not seeing the results <laughs> then go figure right you don't have a strategy you're just doing stuff you're just doing hmm. like 300 word blogs like we talked about before so are the good folks at fathom wanted us to bring this up we're going to put it in the show notes But if you are at all in the manufacturing industry and you have not seen this report, you have to do it right away. Uh, We'll put it in the show notes, but the easiest way to get to it is go to contentmarketinginstitute.com and click on research, and you'll see it. It's like the fifth one down. Just scroll down, and there's a blog post that goes through a long blog post, not a 300-word blog post, but a long blog post that goes through all the different highlights, success factors, goals, content marketing tactics, everything. And then there's a beautiful 34-page ebook that you can download. Oh, it's fantastic. And you can get your hands on this. So what I really like yeah. about this is that if you're having trouble um, convincing – and not only convincing your boss to look at content marketing a little bit more, but actually look at why manufacturers are succeeding and failing. There's a great chart in here that says – Here's best-in-class content marketers in manufacturing companies, and it will say, here's what they're doing. Here's how many tactics they're doing. Here's wow. what they're doing with their strategy. It's just invaluable information. So thanks again to the folks at Fathom for making that possible, and uh, make sure you download this if you're in manufacturing. Even if you're not and you'd like to see it, uh, it's a great piece of research.
1: That's just fabulous. I, I, I got a sneak preview of it, and I, and I just think it's it's just awesome. It's Damn. just, and I happen to be, I have, I happen to be like hot and heavy right now, thinking about manufacturers. So it was, it was extraordinarily timely for me too.
0: And they're coming around, right? I mean, you're doing yeah, more oh, work absolutely. with manufacturers and just trying to get some good case studies and what's going on. And
1: it's, yeah, it's. I mean, it's early days for these guys now, right? And so they're seeing sort of this ability to really differentiate. Um, out there and 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 do some stuff that the comp- competition just quite frankly isn't doing so unlike a lot of industries where it's like hey we're we're chasing up second here this is this is first mover advantage in many It's cases.
0: so interesting they're so sales driven I yeah, mean marketing exactly. has really just been an administrative function for so That's right. long uh- and now they're trying to be more strategic but they they're just having trouble doing that and that's one
1: of the that's that's one of the challenges quite frankly i go into these manufacturers and i go okay great let's mark with the marketing team and and the person goes yeah you you kind of are it's me you know what i mean it's it's basically a marketing per team of one
0: I just, and so it's so interesting i just i did this was a couple of months ago and it was about 20 senior marketers within a very, very large manufacturing company that everybody on this call would, would have heard of. And they, their biggest challenge was actually getting sales to take them seriously. Right. I mean, it yeah, really exactly. felt like they were yeah. they were really disappointed that nobody listens to us in sales.
1: <laughs> well, that's not just manufacturing, my friend. That's a lot of businesses.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my son would say, "Call the wambulance on Get that ambulance." <laughs> would you like some wine with that? <laughs> oh lord what are we uh, what's up next now yeah. it is
1: time for our favorite part of the show of course you love it we love it it is our rants and raves section of the show and it's time when joe and i go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave on something that makes us a little angry like manny al Pacquiao was at the end of that fight or to make us really happy like i'm sure the owner of the american pharaoh horse was at the end of the kentucky derby so uh, I, you have this old market. I do um, and so I am gonna go off on my little rant here um, actually so no I is... think no no I go first no no this is you first yeah you first second. we're gonna yep. split yep. So I'm I'll second. go first okay. and gotcha. then you have a rant because yeah. I have
0: a rave because okay. I've been ranting yep. the exactly entire right. episode <laughs> so, let, <laughs> so let me talk about this so I'll do mine um of course, uh, I'm. You, you know I'm a big Browns fan. You're the big Cowboys fan. I, I really did uh, pay attention to what happened in the draft. And uh, the Browns, Cleveland Browns football team, had two seventh-round picks. And they're, with their first seventh-round pick, they picked a linebacker out of USC, and his name was Hayes Pullard. And there's a whole lot of story. I love the backstories that come out after they get drafted, and you kind of find out the road to get there. Well, what happened is – So Hayes, um, really good player. I think he led USC in tackles two years in a row, but didn't have what they call measurables. So anybody listening to the draft, you'll hear measurables all the time, like didn't have the longest jump or the quickest 40. All he did was he was successful in college and tackled a lot of people, and some didn't even know if Hayes was going to get drafted. Well, two days before the NFL draft, he goes to Derek Jeter's site, which I'm becoming more and more in love with. It's called the Players' Tribune. So for those who don't know, Derek Jeter, you know, former Hall, you know, will be a Hall of Famer, New York Yankee shortstop. He started a media company called the Players' Tribune, and Hayes penned an article on the Players' Tribune. And let me read this title because I think it's great. It says, For Hire, smart linebacker who makes plays in space. And he basically wrote an application nice, letter, yeah, and he nice. sent this letter. He put he put this on um, Derek Dieter's site, but then also sent it to all 32 uh, general managers and included a tape of himself and all this kind of stuff and said, here's why you know I, I told his backstory and said I'd be motivated. His goal is to, to help make that team great. And I just thought it was a fantastic use of media today and the fact that he has an audience. And I I, don't, I yeah. can't prove it right, but I really do think that him getting drafted, and one of the reasons why he got drafted is he made the pitch. He told a story. He told a really compelling story. He found an outlet that made sense. He used that, and lo and behold, he gets drafted. And I'm looking at the, the article right now. The article alone has over 60,000 shares on, um, on um, Facebook. So, That's I mean, exactly. it's been shared around. That's pretty good for an article well, from from somebody who didn't think they were going to get drafted.
1: Storylines so. sell tickets. You know, I mean, and, you know, and that is the key. And if we don't think at pro teams, NFL, NBA, you know, baseball, all of them look for storylines because all games, you know, the, the announcers are searching for storylines, the league is the story, you know, the writers are searching for storylines and the characters are the players. And so You've got you know you've got these great if you if a great storyline is just sitting you there that's what's that the teams are looking for that too right I mean it's it, whether it's the bad boy or you know the the superstar or whatever it is you, you that is a key piece of marketing um, in sports today so well, it's yeah I love it I love this and it's so
0: interesting it takes you back takes me back to the media uh, Cleveland event that I'm talking about because I had a, a college student that came up to me he was graduating. And he said, Joe, he said, what, do, what do I need to do right now uh, in order to get in front of people that are going to hire me? And I said, well, the good news is you don't have to wait. Go build your audience. Right. Go target exactly. a niche, something you're passionate about, something yeah. you have a knowledge and skill around, and create, <laughs> create your publishing platform. Do it over a long period of time. Show that you know how to build an audience, a subscriber uh, offering of some kind. And then if you take it to anybody, they're going to hire you. Because you've right. already done it, and you're going to do what they're struggling to do, so it'd right. be an easy exactly. case to make.
1: Anyways, that's right. It's great, fantastic. I love that. I love that story most of all because it's it's such a great story, and then secondly because it's 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 just great football.
0: I hope he makes it. I think it's. it's going
1: to be. It's going to be great story during the year. It's too. It's going to be fun to watch. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I have a rant, um, love and it. this is a this is a this is a proper rant, um, as they might say in the UK. Um, and this comes from, so I, I'll tee this up and I'll just sort of introduce it by saying, look, for those of you who know me, you know I'm one an unapologetic lover of marketing, the practice of marketing, and marketers. That is, I I'm a fanboy from the beginning. I'm also a fanboy of what Dove has done with their campaign for real beauty. So, you know, <laughs> full full disclosure there. This article that I'm going to rant on comes from Digiday. Came out last week. Where a guy by the name of the Copy Ranter um, goes off on the Dove campaign for Real Real Beauty, and he starts the article off by saying, "Finally, earlier this month, Dove got widely called out by women over their insidious, yeah, insidious." He uses the word "Real Beauty" ad campaign. He says, "For more than ten years, this personal care brand behind a veneer of empowerment has passive aggressively. I don't know how you could ever think that the." real bit anyway it has assaulted women's physical insecurities to sell beauty products he goes on to say that's right beauty has been the focus physical characteristics outward attractiveness that is absolutely a mischaracterization of the of the campaign but then he says basically the worst part of the campaign is the unspoken claim by Dove that all the women used in their ad pranks and stunts have been real women in real situations, and he says that's balderdash. I mean, I love the fact that he uses the word balderdash. He brings up this other article that was written in a UK trade publication, uh, Marketing, where they called foul on the Choose Beautiful campaign, which we actually talked about on this show, where the women in five cities around the world were given a choice to walk through two doors, one labeled average, the other beautiful. And he brings up the fact that some of the women in that particular initiative, and I dare say he's implying that in all of it, were actresses. Yes, that is correct. They were. Absolutely, yes. And and I'm surprised that he's shocked at that. But anyway, he goes on to then question the whole idea, like the Dove FBI beauty sketch idea, that that one he labels up a, a very, very bad argument it's a tautology argument where he basically asks the question in a way that assumes the intention of the question he says you know was the fbi sketch artist in on the ad who exactly were these yes they of course they were they were all in on the ad they were huge cameras staring them in the face how would you not think that they're part of the ad and then he says if you think i'm being too cynical my response is i most likely know more about these types of ads than you And that's where, I mean, not that he didn't lose me in the third sentence, but that's when he totally lost me. It's like, yeah, he really wrote that he knows more than us, and so that's why he gets the ability to be so signal. It's like, guess what, dude? You don't actually know more about how these ads are made than I do. But the easy argument for that, the easy argument to make against that is like, how can he claim to know more about this than we do? And then go on to say, I'm shocked that there's gambling going on in the casino, and, of of course, that's not actually real. I mean, you don't actually think that Siri's really going to bring you soup, do you? You don't think that Red Bull really gives you wings? You don't think that you're really just going to build that PowerPoint on your little tablet on your iPad? Do you really think that just wearing Nike is going to make you just do it? No! I've got other bad news for you. The Kardashians aren't really mad at one another. The Real Housewives, they know that they're going to yell at each other in every episode. The music video where Maroon 5 surprises all those weddings, yeah, those are actors. The Jeff Gordon Pepsi video, yeah, those are actors too. The Southern California Helpful Honda guys, those are actors too. So this whole guy's whole problem seems to be with this idea of authenticity that somehow because Dove wasn't completely factual and show that these were actors and actresses and everything, that this is not authentic and somehow there's some problem there. And that's the word that I think gets thrown around too much here. Authentic doesn't mean factual. It just means of undisputed origin. In other words, that's it. The thing doesn't it, – it, I can tell a lie and if it was me that told it un, in an undisputed origin, that lie is authentic. And so – That's the thing. You can be authentically crappy or you can be authentically damaged. I mean, for example, Coca-Cola, great. It's a huge brand, of course. Is their content initiative where they spread happiness, which is the name of their – is that authentic storytelling? I mean, I've seen people come to really passionate arguments on both sides of that discussion. Somebody will say it absolutely isn't authentic because the company sells poisonous candy water and it makes kids obese and blah, blah, blah. And the other side will argue that it's absolutely true to what the brand of Coca-Cola intends to meet. It's the promise that they hope to make with the brand, which is to spread happiness. Both of those are equally valid arguments, but the key is, is that we're marketing. We're not in the business of truth. I don't care what business or nonprofit or government organization you work for. If you're in marketing, you're not in the business of truth. You're in the business of what ought to be the truth. What should be the truth? The minute you said your product or service is the top product that uniquely solves X, Y, or Z, or challenge, or blah, 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 you're out of the truth and into what ought to be the truth, which is marketing. The toothpaste is whiter. The drink is tastier. The food is crispier. We have the unique, differentiating, synergistic, market-leading algorithm that solves the world's problems. We omit the plain fact that it's not any of those things. This is marketing. As I say a lot in my workshop, your content when you're marketing, it has to be real, but it doesn't have to be true. That's the end of my rant. I um I have teared up a little. Oh, I'm sorry. No. no I was good Lord, man, stop you really that. stop that nonsense. Right now. <laughs> stop that. Absolutely stop that nonsense. I knew you. This one you made would me this, when... this one this one made me mad. This one this is one like, "Come on, man. It's like you know, you don't have to like the campaign and you don't have to think it's effective. By the way, it was, it has been very effective for them, but, but you don't have to think it's effective, but to immediately go that they, that, that they're not actually trying to do something good while they also market a product is just, it's the highest level of cynicism and cynicism is really a a thing that just bugs the crap i love it and then you and
0: i i was talking about the comments before yeah horses don't save cute puppies from wolves in yeah, real exactly. life kate right. upton doesn't eat yes. at carl's jr that wwe right. yes. by the way is scripted i mean you yeah. know it's just right. like what it it was that's a that's a good take i really yeah. Yeah, really appreciate that's, that hey that's right. i have um uh, this have old marketing. marketing this week because uh, you've, you've had like 10 in a row so i decided to pitch in and i thought that this one would be appropriate since yeah. this is really the NFL episode, Sportsmageddon. And, and I and how could we forget? You know, I was thinking as I was thinking about the draft, how could we forget about NFL Films? And before there Absolutely. were there was Red Bull Media House, there was NFL Films, yeah. And just to, you know, it's interesting how this whole thing happened. So for those of you that don't don't know, NFL Films was started in 1962 by Ed Sable, and then of course a lot of you who watched later uh, remember Steve Sable, you know, very, very popular as well Um, kind of was kind of the face for a long time of NFL films but I didn't know this, I don't know if you knew this, but so um, Sable started a company called Blair Motion Pictures, and they were basically recording um, high school football games. Of you know, he's recording his son's high school football games, and he put enough together to bid on the rights to the 1962 NFL Championship Game. He bid five thousand dollars, and this he was not NFL Films. This is still when he was Blair Motion Pictures. Bid five thousand dollars, which was double the bid for the 1961 Championship Game. Got it and the film was so good that it impressed NFL commissioner at the time Pete Rozelle and Pete Rozelle said, "Hey, can we buy you out?" So, you know, we talk about, you know, companies yep. buying media buying companies a here, brand, it, yeah. it, buying services, media companies, whatever you want to call it. Pete Rozelle uh, went together, they purchased uh, Ed Sable's company and renamed it NFL Films, received $20,000 in seed money from each of the league's 14 owners and then they went on in every game. They would basically produce a highlight film specific for each team. Now, what's interesting, I don't want to go through all the details, but there's a whole bunch in you know in, in this overview that I was reading. You know, Salon.com television critic uh, Matt Seitz said that NFL Films was the greatest in-house PR machine in pro sports history. Might yeah. have been the greatest in-house PR, uh, PR machine in history, in sports, regardless. What's what's interesting to me is if you look at the other major sports from around the world and you look at, or let's just say the United States, NFL is by far the most popular. You and I know this. We talk about it all the time. They are the only ones that had an NFL films type of thing and yeah. in a lot of the stuff that i was reading it said that one of the reasons i mean nfl films as itself is a as a property does a little over 50 million in revenues and nfl is over i think they're right around 20 billion dollars in revenue right.
1: so it's a so it's a drop in
0: it's the it's just bucket. a drop in the bucket but there will be everyone says that was that i was reading this up on says that nfl films is is responsible in large part for the nfl being The, you know, the not having the number one fan base because of the way that it created these content experiences, if you will. Yep. for each of the individual fans that none of the other teams were doing. So you could really get up close, personal. You got some of the inside story. Of course, how can you forget the slow-motion football
1: in the oh air? Just the that, tundra. that voice. that I, I can't remember the uh, the guy's name, but the that sort of voiceover guy who did all of the on a cold Sunday. I thought
0: that was. I don't know. I, I didn't read that, but I thought that was
1: Ed Sable. Was it, it might that? have been. I think it, it was. was yeah. It was. I mean, that voice. I mean, I hear that voice, and I just immediately am taken back to being a kid watching that. There's a wonderful, not to get too meta, but there's a great documentary about NFL films that's been airing occasionally on ESPN. It's just wonderful.
0: Yeah, I mean, Hard Knocks came from them. You know, they did that. Yeah, I mean, of course. there's a, yeah, number. I mean, it does more than just what we think of them historically, but. You know, it's interesting to me, again, back to history, we're seeing this happen again. We're seeing companies in all types of markets go and buy, you know, media services companies. And you're seeing this over and over again today. And here was the NFL back in 1962, sort of ahead of their time, and said, hey, this is going to be something. And, you know, and, and here we are. NFL is as popular as they are today. And I think a lot of the reason is because of what Ed Sable
1: did. And a great example of this old this marketing. This old marketing. Yeah, there baby. Fantastic. All right. Where are you off to? Where are, you, are you home? Uh, I'm yeah. home right now.
0: I've got a, a quick trip here to New York City. Uh, I New have to York do- City? New York City. I
1: knew you were going to do that.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, so I have to do a, a couple speeches there and uh, hoping to get together with the a few members of our sales team while I'm there would be good. Oh, nice. As as you know, we've got a few I sales do. folks there, so yeah. I'm going to be hopefully doing that and uh, and then but yeah, busy busy week still. We have um, uh, content marketing awards deadline is this Friday. Like dead deadline. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, so I mean it, they are coming in like crazy. So by the way, anyone listening to this, if you want to do get your content marketing award in, you need to get it in by frasby postmark by Friday. So this is just crazy going on this week. So how about yourself? What are you doing?
1: I'm moving this week. Oh, this that's is, move right. week. The this big is move week. The big week. Is this
0: tomorrow? This is, is this what's going this on, is, man? It
1: starts Wednesday. It's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Wednesday is pack day. Thursday is actual physical move day. Friday is unpack day. So yeah, it's it's all this week. So next next time we record, I'll be recording from the new joint and oh, that's uh, very um, exciting. Yeah, we're pretty excited. We're you're, it, the, we're in boxes now and things are a big mess, but uh yeah. So this 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 week is move week for me.
0: Well, good luck with that. And I'm glad we're doing this a little bit early so you can, yeah. you can
1: get focused on the move. Very important. Very, Don't drop anything. Very, very important.
0: Extra padding. <laughs> very important. Very Pack important. your shoes <laughs> and your glasses. <laughs> Pack them tightly.
1: <laughs> That is it for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose signing off. And, you know, continue to tweet us up. Hashtag This Old Marketing. <laughs> you know, or if you've got a question at all, email us. We like email, too. ThisOldMarketing at ContentInstitute.com. And if you like this episode, number 77, do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. Everything we talked about with the links will be available on the show notes available at ThisOldMarketing.com on Saturday. And do, folks... You'll want to tune in next week when we're going to hear Joe say, how did your brain even learn human speech? Remember, folks, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Market.